it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 158 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Lucas Vlahos. Lucas, this week, former Met, and potentially former future Met, Ioannis Suspedis, got a new car. A tricked out three-wheel track monster. It's a... uh, polaris slingshot i feel like they drove it on top here at some point one of the episodes i saw tested it or had it for like a track day thing but if you could get any met his own car or a new car what met would you pick and what car would you get them um so this was tough because there aren't a lot of distinctive personalities on the mets anymore but i think just for the hilarity of it you got to go with michael kadire since he seems like the midlife crisis kind of stage so I'll get him like a tricked out Corvette, since that's a pretty standard forty-year-old white dude midlife crisis car. I can see him just like in with the fedora on, like Mets fedora on, cruising in the Corvette. Yep, totally around like Williamsburg, <laughs> trying to be a hipster. Yeah, like, at, the, with, with the his cool, graying yeah, beard, cool divorce dad. I don't even know. I assume he's probably married with kids, but I know the type. So. <laughs> creepy old dude at the surfer blood show <laughs> like music hall of williamsburg uh, i'm going with ruben tejada i feel like he could use a little pick me up some new re- some new wheels for the off season now that he's uh drinking very good scotch holding up the johnny walker blue we need to get him a proper scotch drinker's car he's also in line for a bit of a raise assuming the mets tender him so i'm going with a rolls royce phantom Nice and classy. Mm-hmm. And classy for Ruben Tejada. You can drive around that in like an ascot, sipping some Johnny Walker Blue. And it can keep the Met cane when he gets out of the car. Oh, sure. It's, it's, like a, it's like a nice little sort of dandy thing that works. 
this is episode 158 of Amazing Avenue Audio. Originally, I was just going to answer some of the leftover emails, get the inbox cleared out for next week's AAOP Spectacular. But we have a little bit of news and even more emails. So it's just going to be like a regular episode to get two episodes this week. I didn't do, really do an official one last week, so fair enough. And we will start, <laughs> as we record this on Friday night, with the most recent Mets news. Uh, Daniel Murphy has declined the Mets' qualifying offer and will be an unrestricted free agent if he signs another team. The Mets get a compensation pick probably somewhere in the 30s in the 2015 draft. This one went down for the down to the wire, or maybe it really didn't, but nobody reported it until like 5.01. But given that Adam Rubin had something ready to go at 5.01, I assume it was just embargoed for some reason, which makes no sense. But anyway, this is the right decision for all parties. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Um, I think Murphy's easily going to get more than the QO on the free agent market. And the Mets, he didn't really fit what the Mets wanted to do. They have second base steps. I mean, I think it's a good thing for both of them. I think in a perfect world, Murphy probably wanted to stay. I think there was probably a deal out there that made sense for both sides for him to stay. I just don't think it was him accepting the qualifying offer or uh, comparable to what the free agent market for him would have borne out, given that there's already reported interest from Colorado, and I'm sure there'll be other teams that will pony up, even with the, the qualifying offer attached. There's just so many free agents this year with it. It's going to be, you can't really just cross all those guys off your shopping list. And, you know, if you're the the Rockies, I believe they have a protected pick. I think Baltimore is probably going to be linked there. I don't think they do. They're probably in the general vicinity of the top 10 pick. I haven't actually looked at the draft order because I don't care. Because I'm actually yeah. picking, like, in the 20s for the first time in, like, right. <laughs> eight years or whatever. And we're actually hoping they lose that draft pick for the first time in eight years. Within reason, of course. Of course. So, were you at all concerned as it sort of went down to the wire that he might accept it? Um, Logically, no. I thought it made no sense for him to accept it. But this is Murphy. And Murphy loves to Murph, so you never really knew what was going to happen. And so I breathed a small sigh of relief when it came out that he declined it, as most of us expected. But I wasn't overly concerned. Yeah, I think there's a scenario for him where, and I think we saw it with Weeders taking the qualifying offer, that he's probably going to get, I don't know, it's tough to say. Let's say he gets something like 446 on the market. Yeah. If I was setting the over-under there for what he's going to get, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I think the predictions have been 448, something along yeah. that, those lines. Uh, so he's already $16 million towards that. So we need a $30 million deal after that. And you know, next year, the Mets probably wouldn't offer him another qualifying offer if he accepted, and the free agent market's a little bit thinner. Now with Weeders, he's coming off a season, two seasons really, where he hasn't been healthy, so I understand why he did that. Maybe Kobe Rasmus is a better comparison point. Mm-hmm. in a crowded outfield market, you know, taking maybe half of what he would have gotten guaranteed on the free agent market in like a three-year deal and trying again next year in a, in a shallower market. Yeah, and I think the infield market is definitely a lot more shallow than the outfield market. Uh, I mean, in terms of second base options, there's Zobrist, Kendrick, and Murphy, and then that's about it. Um, plus, Murphy can flex around to... I mean, he can play any position as well as he can play second base, which is to say not very well. But the infield market is definitely a lot better for him than the outfield market is for Rasmus. Yeah, and I think while there were certainly examples of players that probably should take the qualifying offer this year, and I think a few of them did, though not Brett Anderson, which I, I will never... I'm sorry, not uh, Ian Kennedy. Brett Anderson did. Um, I don't think Murphy was one of them. No. He's just not the type of, you know, it's not Stephen Drew. He's a long track record of being Daniel Murphy. 
his performance down the stretch and in the playoffs, or maybe not raising his value would probably keep it steady enough against uh, the balance of the qualifying offer. And you know, he the fact that he can play second, third, and first is going to be useful to a lot of teams, just not the Mets, right? At that dollar amount. And if he had accepted, it would have taken basically their entire offseason budget. Yeah, that would have that would have been very very bad. It would have been kind of hilarious, if I'm honest, in my yeah, sort it, of like dark humor moments. It would have been those moments where you chuckle and then take a very long long drink <laughs> and then chuckle some more. Do we have any final parting words in the Daniel Murphy era? Uh you were fun to watch, Daniel. You were also infuriating to watch at times. Thankfully, I think it was more often the former rather than the latter. And you seem like generally a pretty good dude. Uh, hopefully, you go make some more money on the free agent market and lose in the World Series to the Mets or the NLCS. Or I don't, I don't know where he's going to sign. Seems like a reasonable enough eulogy. So... Given that $16 million for Daniel Murphy would have crippled the Mets' ability to spend money in the offseason, they may have to upgrade through trades. And they were rumored to be in... Well, they made a phone call, at least. I never know how far the discussions got on Andrelton Simmons, who was just traded to the Angels for their top two prospects and Eric Ibar. Um, and sort of the party piece of that deal being Sean Newcomb, who I'm very familiar with having seen a ton last year. Uh, University of Hartford, and a you know one of the better pitching prospects in baseball right now as the center of that deal. Of course, the rumored ask for the Mets, though it bounced around a little bit, uh, was Conforto plus one of the Big Four, which seems ludicrous. It definitely does. So and I, I got a little conspiratorial on Twitter last night while I was bowling, uh, basically saying that it sure seems like. The Mets leak these gigantic asks, and then the team and the team in question ends up settling for some a much lighter package and trade. Now, maybe the Simmons trade isn't the best example of that because you would be trading in the division. It's very possible that the Braves didn't want to trade Andrelton Simmons in the division without a you know, a ridiculous return, which mm-hmm. Fordo plus say Mats would certainly qualify. However, this happens all the time. It's not just you know it's Noah Syndergaard for Starlin Castro. Jacob DeGrom for Didi Gregorius, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I certainly think you have a better insight into these things than I do, but I'm not sure I totally agree. Um, at the time of the Didi trade, DeGrom was a more reasonable ask. He had just was, won Rookie of the Year. It was last offseason. Right, but he, he was the no-name prospect that came out of nowhere, and it's like, okay, is he really going to be this good or not? And it was understandable to see the Diamondbacks saying, all right, Shane Green, Jacob deGrom, both pretty no-name guys that came up and played well. Um, and maybe they gave Green credit for being in Yankee Stadium and the American League. Uh, so that one I didn't find sketchy at all. And to be fair, I did actually make that exact defense of that deal on the podcast in those exact terms. <laughs> right. When it happened. And I think that was, I mean, I'm glad the Mets said, no, we like DeGrom Bohr. I think I would have made that the same decision, but I don't think that ask was unreasonable given what the Diamondbacks wound up getting. As for the Cubs, uh, we've seen people argue that their position players are worth more than basically any pitcher alive. So um, I don't know how much, what exactly their front office places as the value on pitchers versus hitters but it doesn't surprise me that they'd be asking for one of the big time pitchers in exchange for uh one of the shortstops with promise even if that shortstop is kind of mediocre especially because the shortstop market is so thin see this is and it wasn't really even about you know Mets fans whining on Twitter about how it's so unfair that these teams ask for one of their big four pitching prospects all the time. Well, not pitching prospects anymore at this point. It's just more that it's very much like a no other team leaks this when it happens about these deals that really weren't that all, all that close to coming off. It just always smacks me like, oh well, we're trying, but you know, we can't really do it. It's sort of a 
you know, hashtag we tried kind of thing. Like, we're definitely doing things. See, we can take on Andrew and Simmons' contract. They just want too much. And it's uh, PR. And they should do, you know, PR is PR. Every team leaks to the media for a certain amount of PR. Stuff like that, whether it's that or hyping prospects or whatever. That just smacks me. It's like, guys, just shit or get off the pot, essentially. I, I definitely get that view. Um, I would argue it is New York, so the media mar- the media is a little bit tougher, and it's tougher to keep things on the down low. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's a very conscientious attempt. You're getting specific names out there. They're coming from somebody yeah. inside the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't bother me, but I can see how it would bother others um, who are more skeptical of I mean, granted, I'm not the most biggest Wolf Pond fan out there, so I get why it's irritating to some. It's just not something that really grinds my gears. I think the larger point in all this, sort of zooming back out towards, you know, making trades this offseason to try to improve the team if there's not much more than Daniel Murphy qualifying offer money in the budget. If they wanted to beat this deal, it would have taken one of the big four arms or Conforto. Yeah. They have nothing else past that. That's unless the team really, really buys into Ahmed Rosario. You know, could mm-hmm. Ahmed Rosario have been the centerpiece of, you know, the Craig Kimbrell deal, deal that the Red Sox just put together? I could see that. Um, I like yeah. Margot a lot. I think he's a better prospect, but I could see a team buying into you know, Rosario's projection more, or at least on enough of a level that he could head up the deal with. What the equivalent of the other guys would be like Max Wattel for the lefty prep arm, mm-hmm. um, and we'd probably have to give up more in terms of secondary pieces. But yeah. yeah, I could see that happening. But you know, past that, there's not a lot of options. I talked on the last episode sort of about maybe selling high on high-ish or selling period on the recent prep picks, and yeah, that probably gets you something decent. You know, I was going to say that. Teams aren't really dealing with prospects anymore, but now that Dave Dombrowski is in, in Boston, that might change very quickly. The, yeah, it's going to be... Seen, a... you know, the Angels certainly be willing to empty out the cupboard, such as it is, to bring in Simmons. So maybe the, the pendulum is starting to shift back in the other direction in terms of uh, being willing to deal prospects for major league returns. But I still think they could, regardless, get something for... You know, Nemo, Smith, and Chikini, those those type of guys. But it's not going to be Andrelton Simmons. It's not going to no. be Craig Kimbrell. No. Or Aldis Chapman or any anybody else that's out there like that. Now that being on. said... Yeah, oh, right. now go ahead. I was going to uh, move on to the emails, but whatever. Um, with If the asking price is indeed Mats or Conforto or something along those lines, I don't really... I think they made them would have if the internal calculus was okay. They're starting at Degrom or Harvey. We could negotiate them down to Mats and some other stuff. And uh, I'm going to be on. I don't think trading Mats plus for Simmons is would have been the best move. So I'm no. fine with the decision they wound up making. No, but it may it may come down to that they have one bullet to spend here, and it's one of the big arms, and they're going to have to get it right. And no, right. I don't think Andrelton Simmons is that guy, but they might have to decide who that guy is. Mm-hmm. Or they can just spend $40 million. What a concept for a New York City team. Now move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Mason Avenue Audio, episode 158. Mason Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. You can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue, Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Lucas Flahos. Can you pronounce your stupid Twitter handle? I just spelled <laughs> it out last time. It's uh, Arua Luvatar, 
seven, right? I think that's what it is. That's it's what it looks st- like. Yeah, it's a dumb high school reference. Yeah, it I'm sounds sorry. about right. That's okay. <laughs> You're young and naive. <laughs> that was the housekeeping these are your emails you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com so we are catching up on the last of last week's so and the first of this week our first email is from ryan hello jeffrey and friend would adam eaton be a good fit in center field as a platoon with Ligaris? if so what would it take to trade for him um adam eaton has been worth nine wins by baseball reference the last two years he's not platooning with anybody yeah yeah. He's a, Adam Eaton is a really good baseball player. Yes. And if the White Sox are willing to sell him, which they might be, though I never quite know what the White Sox are doing, he's signed to a very reasonable contract that covers him through age 31. That's five years for $23.5 million and two team options in 2020 and 2021 for around $10 million each. For a guy that's been... 20% above league average the last two years with the bat and is a pretty good center fielder. Yeah, the Mets aren't going to trade for him to platoon with Ligaris. He'd be the primary center fielder. Yeah, that's like if you're looking at spending one of the bullets of the of, the, uh, of your four starters, Adam Eaton is the kind of guy you bring in. Right. He's a clearly above average, borderline, all-star level center fielder. Yeah. He had a weird power spike last year, too, which is intriguing. Yeah, and let me. I didn't actually check the batted ball distance numbers. Um, I mean, really, his 2015 is more intriguing to me than his 2014, even though he was less valuable by baseball references. Works. They saw a 26 run negative swing in his defense, which, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think he's generally regarded to be a, a, a competent center fielder, so. Uh, so in 2015, he was at 275 roughly. And then in 2014, he's at 262. So yeah, he definitely did add a solid 15 feet to his fly ball distance. So that power might, that, that power spike might be legit. It might be. I mean, the, the double stayed about the same. So it's not just sort of like wall scrapers turning into, you know, balls off the wall, turning into home runs or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Adam Eaton's very good. Another player that the Diamondbacks threw away for nothing. Yeah, what did they trade him for? It was something... Uh, uh, it was the Trumbo, Mark Trumbo right? deal. Jesus. Right. They gave up him and Tyler Skaggs. And yeah. Skaggs didn't turn into anything. But Right. And then they played Trumbo out of position. Yes. Yeah, they played, well, they couldn't use a DH, so... <laughs> He'd be at least okay at first He's base. He's fine at so. first base. Let's put him in left field. Solid. Our next email is from David. It's a couple of questions for our perusal. Hi, Jeff and co-hosts. Thanks for doing the podcast. It's been especially fun since our team turned on the awesome this year. A couple of things I'd like to get your thoughts on. One, when our pitch sequencing gets a little head-scratching-y, who should I be upset with? Travis, the pitcher, Dan, Terry, Beltran? Uh, I mean, I've remarked on this a few times this year, and it's not just our no. I, I saw it with Ploiecki, too, when he was catching... Uh, Syndergaard. I forget which start. I have to go back and look at my notes. But, I mean, you assume at this point Travis Darnot is is calling the pitches from behind home plate. You would also assume that, you know, they're having meetings before every series, sort of charting out how they want to approach the pitcher starts. And, you know, Dan Warthin's in that meeting. Travis Darnot's in that meeting. The pitchers in question are in that meeting. So... I mean, what it really comes down to is is I'm not opposed to throwing off-speed stuff in hitters' counts Mm -hmm. if you can make it work. Yeah. Like, if Matt Harvey wants to throw a 2-0 slider or a 2-0 changeup to a lefty, sure. Because he has plus major league command of those pitches. Jacob DeGrom the same way. When you're calling on, you know, Syndergaard to try to throw his curveball for a strike in a in a two zero or two one count, that's a pretty big ask. He's making it look like a strike out of the hand. He doesn't. He's not consistent enough there. And all yep. of a sudden, three zero three one. Now you've already suddenly burned that pitch. They're going to be sitting dead red. Mm-hmm. 
And this is kind of a nitpicky thing, given how good the starting pitching was this year. <laughs> all in all, um, and I don't really know how to, you know, game calling kind of stuff. I don't know how to, you know, short of being in those meetings, I don't really know how to sort of delineate blame or praise for those kind of things. Yeah, I trust that. I trust that they'll iron these things out eventually. Um, and I think Syndergaard eventually gets to that point where his secondaries do have that kind of control, but that's not the point. Um, it, it, it was an issue several times, and I know you, you noted it, and even I, who don't really, I don't really have any good idea of scouting these sort of things. It was always like, why'd you call that pitch there, Darno? So I think they'll figure it out eventually. And if they don't, I think it's more on the coaching than it is on Darno because it's kind of the coach's job to say, this is bad, stop doing it. It's also always Beltran's fault, so we could just go with that. Two, Denard Spahn with no draft pick compensation. Interested. Thanks for fielding these. Dave, who is Mets, Jets, Nets on Amazing Avenue. Yeah, sure. I mean, they could do... I've always liked Denard Spahn. I think I said this in the last show. I liked peak mm-hmm. Denard Spahn. Yeah. If it's like 339, eh, all right. I think he's still going to be a useful major league player the next couple of years. And he can he's the kind of guy that could if if the skills start to erode, you could move him to a corner after Granderson's deal runs out. And he I think he'd still be good there for a, a few more years. You know, he's a guy he fits their type of hitter. He can bat the top of an order again on base a little bit, some some facility with the bat. And you know, he's a useful player and you know Whatever he's going to get is probably going to be fairly close to the going rate for a league average, maybe slightly above outfielder nowadays. Yeah. I just, again, it's you, where do you want the Mets to spend their bullets, whatever they may be, financial or trade-wise? Uh, I think I'm a little bit more bullish on Span, but assuming there's no Harvey trade for bets, which I'd be totally <laughs> fine with... Um, then Span is given the Mets budget constraints. I can get a little bit excited about him, but it's not Jason Hayward. It's not Yohannes Cespedes. It's like, oh yeah, we signed the big time free agent. We got Span. Our next email is from Alan. Hello, Jeffrey and Co. Banterer. I've been cooking up possible ways for the Mets to shore up their defensive frailties this off season. I came up with one possible conspiracy theory involves flipping Lucas Duda. I think David Wright has to be moved away from third base due to natural aging decline and obvious health-related concerns which are diminishing him in his 30s. Plus, no one is taking his huge contract off of our hands. How about trading Duda this offseason, moving the captain to first? That scenario would ideally have Dilson graduate to second base, Flores to switch over to third, and crucially, signing Desmond to play shortstop. As even more optimal pieces of the scenario, we're trading Duda for an above-average defender at center field who can hit a little more consistently than Lagaris. Overall, this idea adds payroll, and assuming Desmond can be had on the open market, admitted stretch for the Mets. But I think the net upgrade in defense would be worth losing a podcast legend for. Lucas Duda, a podcast legend? It's, yeah, where did where'd that come from? I mean, we, talked I mean, about, we talked about Duda a lot in like sort of the Duda Davis era, I feel like. Was that really about Duda, though, or more about Lol Mets at the point? I don't know. Time, like the, the podcast legends on this show, I think, are very clear to me. It's Josh Satin. Absolutely. Uh, Wilmer Flores. Well, he's everyone's hero. Sure enough. Uh, Gabriel Yanoa. Yes. Zach Lutz. Go back to the, to the Rob Castellano era. R.I.P. Rob. Um, <laughs> he's still alive. I think he just works all the time now. Am I forgetting anybody? Uh, don't think so. Josh Satin's eyebrows, because they deserve Josh Satin's eyebrows. Anyway, it also avoids trading from young pitching depth. If you have other podcast legends, I'm forgetting, write in. Or tweet me or whatever. This has been reduced drastically in the last six months. What do you guys think, Alan, the Scottish Mets fan in Norway? So, 
and go all the way to the back here or to the front to the beginning of the email mm-hmm. i think eventually david wright is going to move have to move across from third base to first base i don't know that he's an ideal first baseman given that he's like you know six one ish but he's probably not going to be able to play third much longer However, I do feel like his – you can probably squeeze enough out of him at third the next couple years to cover Duda's last two cheap arbitration years. And there'll be a sort of a natural changing of the guard when Duda hits free agency. I just don't think you can trade Lucas Duda because he's like one of the two or three best hitters on the team next year probably. He might be the best hitter on the team next it's year. It's possible. It's very possible. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. He's a good hitter. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not in favor of extending him necessarily. I think they're at the sweet spot where they can give him whatever he's going to get in ARB the next two years. It'll probably come out to, and I'll do some quick math. I didn't put the ARB projection on him. Well, actually, I should know what the ARB projection is on him because he's in my AAOP. So the ARB projection, nope, that's the wrong file. That's the wrong file. Oh, there it is. Uh, the R projection on him was six point eight. So let's see that, that. Let's say that. Let's be really bullish on Lucas Duda's two thousand sixteen and say it's basically two years, nineteen million for his age, thirty and thirty one seasons. I don't think you want to pay him past that. No, given his body type and skill set. Yeah, I think he's you very easily QO him and then. Thanks for your time, Duda. Have fun. And then, Same thing that I did point, with Murphy. Yeah, at that point, you can move right over to to first base. And I don't think any of this, any of that, necessarily precludes just signing Ian Desmond to play shortstop. You play Herrera at second, use Flores as a super sub in the infield, and go on from there. To quite bigger question there is do the Mets have the money to sign Desmond and should the Mets sign Desmond right I'm very much in the hell no stay away from Desmond camp but he was good in the second half if you just look at his second half that sort of fits in line with his 2013 2014 but that's down from his peak yeah and he to me he very much fits in that like a similar offensive player to Cespedes where he doesn't walk. He swings hard at basically every pitch. Um, and he's had his contact issues have gotten really bad the last two years. Um, and defensively, he's mediocre at best at shortstop probably and likely going to decline even more. I mean, he was, let's see. Uh, baseball references war he was basically league average this year despite being 20% worse than average with the bat because you know shortstop is a tire fire right now in the majors yes you know, he's very durable he'll go out there and play every day I think he'll probably bounce back a little bit and be close to an average major league hitter but he's going to get paid like a you know more than Curtis Granderson let's put it that way in all yeah, likelihood I, I saw 585 for him something along those lines I think that's probably a little more than what he's actually going to get but there's not much else out there at shortstop. Right. I'm also not counting this as like an official shortstop avenue audio segment. Sorry. No baseline. I've talked about Ian Desmond too much on the show to like every Desmond question being a... Uh... Yeah. If the Mets have so such limited ammo in terms of acquisitions this kind of player who has a profile that doesn't age well isn't right. the guy to go for. In You're going to spend you know, 585 on Desmond. You might as well... I don't know who else would be in sort of that class of free agent. Uh, in terms of an offensive guy, mid-range offensive free agent. Sort of the other find a contract you can take on and trade that's worth about that i guess right the 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 offensive market is kind of hayward and cespedes then desmond and then then a bunch of crap 
that's good uh good promotion for all our off-season podcasts there at least (laughs) (laughs) jeff you are brilliant that's probably a bit extreme my question is simple if the mets had a top five payroll this offseason what would you do to field a team that would win it all also with the pepsi porch gone and us still being in fantasy land where the mets need no money from sponsorships what non-corporate idea do you have for some sort of porch gimmick architecture out there in right field for me i would put more mechanical fruit rising out of top hats up there but i'm so crazy i so i'm interested in your response and then going into details about what fruits would rise every time that's a triple or when a repay challenge goes in the mets favor all the best willie um so top five payroll what's that nowadays 180 million yeah probably just outside the uh luxury tax get to double the mets payroll um I probably sign Jordan Zimmerman. Hayward. I am about Hayward. I just want to get a center fielder, like a real center fielder. I don't know who's available. I don't think there's really a f- real free agent center. F- I mean, no, Fowler. There isn't on the free. I mean, Fowler. I have. I don't want to spoil my AOP, but Fowler's in it right now. So that might change. Um, he's not. You know, he's my 120 million dollar budget center fielder, not my 180 million dollar budget center fielder. <laughs> I mean, maybe you do deal Duda and look at like see if the Reds will sell on Votto. At that point. That'd be pretty cool. It's a lot of money. But yeah, you but have a $180 million imagine- payroll now, so fuck it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Maybe Granky? I'm- I think they should just would- go whole hog and get one more like ace-level starter to go with Matt Syndergaard, DeGrom, and Harvey and just... Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get from Mats, and the Tommy John Grim Reaper is always looming. So, if you have the money, go sign Price. Yeah, I might prefer Granky over Price, but it's really not. I feel like you can really go wrong. This isn't a question I've really asked myself because it's not one that the Mets <laughs> yeah, that not really on our concern. radar at any point in time. I'd also go get Hayward for center field, and then Zobrist yeah, for right, second. It's not, it's not the worst idea in the world, certainly. Yeah. We could actually afford O'Day for the bullpen, which would be nice. I don't... Mm. On the one hand, I'm, like, annoyed at people. They're like, how could you possibly sign Darren O'Day for that much? He's not... He's, he's been the best relief pitcher in... Like, the, one of the top three relief pitchers in baseball for four years running now. Yep. I know he doesn't do it like Kimbrel or Chapman, but, you know, it's, we're not that far removed from, like, Dan Quisenberry being a dominant reliever. Brad Ziegler is excellent. You know, throwing yeah. not even as hard as O'Day does. These guys make it work. How hard did Bradford throw when he was around? Not yeah, that hard. No, low 80s, I think. Yeah. Maybe he could dial it up to 85. And it's not like he doesn't strike guys out either. He's no, been he does. Nine, eight and a half, nine and a half, eleven. He's really good. Hey, what are you doing with the Pepsi porch? Um, I'm a sucker for the whole superhero thing, so I'd add... <laughs> Like a Hulk thing and a Thor thing, a Batman thing, a Captain America thing, obviously, for right. Um, I'm not sure if that counts as corporate. To me, comics, I mean, I guess it's Disney, but that doesn't really feel corporate to me. I don't have, like, I don't. I don't know. Oh, how could we forget? If we had infinite payroll, we got to bring Cologne back. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, it's a given. <laughs> you know, I'm not much of a marketing dude. I don't know. I'm not enough. I'd be big, big help here. Could bring Cologne back and then have a giant light up sign of his face on the Pepsi Porsche. I'm always for that.
Our next email is from Nate. Hello, gents. Just saw this morning that Vic Black is a minor league free agent. Or he gives a quick recap of his 2015 season. It was bad. And what his prognosis might be going forward. Should the Mets look to bring him back if they can get him on a minor league deal with a spring training invite? Or is it worth turning the page on him at this point? Would also appreciate a quick yes-no on other selected minor league free agents. Darren Gorski, John Church, Cody Satterwhite, Scott Rice, Alex Torres, Anthony Recker, Brandon Allen, Josh Rodriguez. Many thanks for your Wilfredo Tovar take on the last pod. Well, that explains a lot about this question. Mm. Cheers, Nate. Um, I mean, he still throws 95. If you want to yeah, get I mean, him back and take a shot on him. He was still striking to... dudes out. He just had no idea where the ball was going. And he was it's hurt. Tough to... yeah. It's tough to give out a bad minor league contract. Yeah, it's a whatever. chilly get... like, you could throw You could throw hard. Yeah, show up. It's like, where is Vic Black comfortable? Um, other selected minor league free agents. I mean, my, my loyalties are well known with Gorski, but they're going to need a serviceable AAA starter. They traded everybody in that sort of like advanced day AA starting pitching depth last year. So sure, he wants to come back, bring him back. John Church, I can't. If anyone on this list is a reliever, I can't really bother to care about. I would not be shocked if Anthony Recker is a non-roster invite next year. Mm-hmm. I think they just needed the 40-man spot. Brandon Allen, they've brought back two years running now, so why not? Josh Rodriguez always seems to be around. <laughs> Somewhere. And they like those sort of like, like I bet Ty Kelly is going to be like their double-A guy this year that does that sort of the Josh Rodriguez role, so I don't know. Yeah. Sure, there's some level of utility to that from a organization management perspective. I mean, there are certain it, these guys are out there. It says something about how much the organization likes them that they've come back multiple times. I think that kind of stuff does matter in those decisions. It's minor league for free agents. I can't get too worked up about it. Oh, and, and there's more. It's from Jimmy. Hi, Jeff and cohorts. You didn't mention Jeff Walters on your Rule 5 preview. I was curious if you thought he might merit rostering this year. The Mets already protected him once two years ago, but I haven't read anything about how he looked coming back from TJ this year. Stat lines certainly looked good, but are there any reports that he looked back to full strength? Thanks. There is. I saw him in the Gulf Coast League on rehab. He looked, you know, okay. Like a guy coming off Tommy John surgery. The command wasn't always there. Um... The velocity was down a little bit, but I heard the reports in uh, in Binghamton were more in his sort of traditional 92 to 94 range with the slider. And he pitched well there. I mean, he's 28. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to... He's drafted, not... he was drafted five times. I forgot that. Yeah. Um, he's not going to turn into. So you're not going to get a shutdown closer out of him, probably. But he's the stats are interesting enough, at least to bring him back, in my opinion. I wouldn't protect him from the rule five or anything like that. No, they just don't have that many roster spots. Though after uh, Paul De Podesta said that Matt Bowman is one of the three best pitching prospects in the system, they might be adding Matt Bowman. So that <sighs> says more about the system than anything else. Yeah. Also that you know. Depot just isn't going to give up his uh, Matt Bowman love. And the pit, the stuff is like super meh. He got destroyed, and I mean it's Vegas, but he still got destroyed. Yeah, he got. Yeah, it's it was a double A when I saw him. So, but, you know, this happens. He yeah, he added Hansel Robles after a half season in Brooklyn, so he has his guys. Well, Robles worked out at least. Eventually, they did, you know, turf him off the 40 and then re-add him. Fair. Our next email is from Philip. Hey, guys, I doubt that Wilmer and Rubin are combined a league average shortstop, but if you can upgrade at the right, right price, why not? Here are my suggestions. Let me know what you think. It's just going to keep going, isn't it? Yeah. All off season. All right, fine. Adania Chiburia is probably not available. Yes, it's season three of Shortstop Avenue Audio. 
America's favorite shortstop, should really be playing third. So Sandy, can we have a word about Shortstop Avenue Audio? The end of last season was tragic, and we need our own Esky magic. But I'll settle for something quite drastic if it ends Shortstop Avenue Audio. One, if you get Desmond for a decent price, sign him. Two, trade Wheeler for Castro or Baez if the Cubs are down to deal. Even if Wheeler bounces back, they can live without him if they get one of the Cubs shortstops. Three, sign Alexi Ramirez to a one-year $10 million deal. Why not? He's cheap and a proven glove bat who had a bad year. I just think we need to improve in a few different areas to make up for the production loss of Suspedis. That was a pretty big production loss. They got 600 slugging lines the Met. Yeah. For the bullpen, I think their number one priority should be to acquire a big arm. Kimbrel O'Day says Sophia. I assume that's Soria. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully Smoker, Blevins, Verrett, or Bowman can stick in the pen as solid relievers. That seemed to be the key difference in the World Series after defense. Thanks, guys. Hope you didn't miss me too much. From Phil. Uh, we'll start with the shortstops, because that's, you know, the name of the segment. I feel like we covered Desmond. I feel like we've covered the Cubs shortstops, but... I do want to sort of dive into this idea that the Mets, like, I get that because of sort of the gap we talked about in the first segment between Mats and everything past Mats, that trading, rehabbing Wheeler is probably their best asset mm-hmm. after Mats. I don't get it, though. I don't either. Um, I mean, in the deal... They were doing it, you know, Wheeler and Flores for Gomez. I thought it made sense, but you're still not getting full value probably elsewhere dealing him now. Because maybe teams are more comfortable with Tommy John surgery and guys coming off Tommy John than they were five, ten years ago, but... You still don't know if he's going to come all the way back. Is he, you know, is he Matt Harvey? Is he Bobby Parnell? Until he gets on a major league mound, you just don't know. And, like, they could get something decent for him now. I mean, I'm not a Castro fan, but Baez is kind of intriguing just because of the... I'll say the same thing about Baez I've said every time he comes up on the show. I really would enjoy seeing Javier Baez get 550 plate appearances for a major league team in a season. I'm just not sure I want to watch it on the Mets. (laughs) Right. I'm yeah. curious at what happens, but I also have a pretty good idea of what happens, and it's much more entertaining if it's on a different team. <laughs> right. It's probably swing and miss, swing and miss, hit a 500-foot home it's run. Like, it's like 30 home runs and a 210 batting average. Which, as a shortstop, is He's awful. He's not really a shortstop either, though, I think. So Alexi Ramirez. Yeah, I kind of like Alexi like Ramirez, Ramirez, but I liked Alexi Ramirez before he had another, before he had another down, down season. season. Uh, I am very anti-Alexi Ramirez, personally. From like the White Sox people I've talked to, the uh, like the defensive metric thing is like a real thing. He's not as good a shortstop as he used to be. Yeah, and the offense, I mean, it was a lot of BABIP, but the offense tanked. And let's see. I mean, his batted ball mix wasn't actually... His batted ball mix was arguably better, and his hard contact was slightly down, but... If I thought he was going to be, like, an above-average shortstop next year with, like, a 90-weighted runs created plus, yeah, sure. Yeah. Make that deal as a stopgap and hope that Rosario's ready or Cicchini's miraculously now a shortstop at the major league level in 2017. I just don't know if it's that much of an upgrade over Wilmer Flores and Ruben Tejada. I don't think it's any upgrade over uh, the two of them. Yeah. As for the bullpen, my number one priority is I'm just not going to talk about the bullpen until spring training. <laughs> that is my number one priority. Because predicting which middle relievers are going to wind up signing is... Yeah. I will give you a sneak preview of my AAOP. Um, I have them trading uh, for the second straight year in my AAOP I'm trading John Neese for a big arm and a big like relief arm and I'm signing uh, 
Sengwon-ho out of Korea because his nicknames are Stone Buddha and the Final Boss, and that's really the only reason. Absolutely. And he was pretty good with the Hanshin Tigers um, this year, so why not? Oh, and Sean Kelly's in there too, I guess, because I have some extra money left over, essentially. Yeah. I like Sean Kelly. Yeah, it's not the worst idea in the world. I mean, he really has three years of good peripherals. It's just his pitch mix probably isn't the best. His pitch, mix, his pitch mix hasn't actually changed that much. The stadium he's played in has, though. <laughs> right. And he tweaked his arm slot a little bit. Um, and that, I think that maybe that helped him with his control. Maybe it didn't, but... There's a there's a significant change there, so maybe the the better control is legit. And in the end, just get a bunch of dudes that throw hard and hope something works out. Even if one of those dudes is like Vic Black. Yeah. Our final email is from Carrie, and it's a downer. Jose Reyes has been my favorite Met since the day I started watching the Mets. I don't think I'm overstepping when I say I love Jose Reyes. I bought his authentic gray road jersey. The wallpaper on both my PC and iPhone were at one point both pictures of Reyes sliding into third. Until the Mets made the playoffs this year, I spent an untold amount of time watching his highlight reels. I watched and laughed at his music video. I remember walking or riding my bike home from work, wishing and dreaming up scenarios where he came back. Uh, It's a niece for Reyes and Cash, as Chris McShane established last year. Right. I knew it would never happen, but I let myself go there sometimes, not wanting to believe he was gone. But this morning, something happened, something awful. I opened my computer, and there he was in a headline-reading report. Ex-Met Jose Reyes arrested on domestic abuse charges after shoving wife into glass door. Men treat women shitty. It's not news. Almost everyone in my life has been assaulted or harassed or worse by a man at least once in their life. So it goes without saying, fuck the dude. I actually consider these things when picking players to root for. It's why I have no Doc or Daryl or David Cohn gear or love. Seriously, fuck abusers. I'm so angry that I feel stick to my stomach. What do you do when your favorite player turns out to be an abuser? It's actually easy to write off players on other teams or scabby reliever types. But uh, was that Nambi York's Burgos reference, probably? Yeah, probably. But Reyes killing all those happy moments is a different story. I want so bad for it not to be true, but it is true. Why can't we have nice things? (sighs) There's no good answer here. No. Um... It's super shitty, and we're rooting for laundry is sort of the staid answer here, I feel like, but sort of the the flip side of the idea that you know, you're know you with a baseball team or you're rooting for a baseball team, you're watching baseball day in and day out in a way you don't watch and follow other sports you inevitably, despite whatever intellectual distance you put between yourself and the players, you get attached to these guys. Yeah. And stuff like this is eventually going to happen. I'm in the same boat where Reyes was my favorite player, and uh, before I became corrupted by the influence of Saber, um, and Reyes, watching Reyes on the 2006, seven, eight teams was like my favorite thing to do. Uh, nothing more exciting than seeing him hit one in the gap and then just run and run and run for days. And I think it's important that you parse between the player and the person. For instance, Murphy's a great example of this because he's he he's, has a he has some level of intolerance for homosexuals but he's not malignant about it he seems curious it seems more like he's just something that's uh he was raised wrong about it whatever but he's not malicious there's no there's no hate it feels like and you can say nobody's perfect everyone has their flaws i can live with this because he's on my favorite team but there's a line at which you can't do that anymore and I think Reyes is... I, I know that Reyes has passed that line. And it's it's awful. I mean, I the first jersey I ever got was a Reyes pinstripe. And I still have it hanging in my closet at home. I wore it to almost at least half the Met games I've gone to. And yeah, I, have a, I have a Reyes black road jersey, I think, from the mid-2000s-ish somewhere in a box in the basement. 
and now I don't know that I'm ever going to wear it again. It's... Baseball players are assholes, man. Everyone's a... People suck uniformly. Uh, See, I don't even want to sort of... That's, in some ways, I feel like a cop-out. Like... Look, there's I can't get into like off the record stuff on Reyes for the most part, but from everything I got, he seemed like a good dude from everyone that talked to him and interact with him on a regular basis. But you just don't know. Like I saw someone tweet out after this happened that well, this makes David Wright sort of more special. Like you don't know what David Wright's doing, but you just don't know, dude. Right. The sort of the flip side of. I don't kill a guy for... I don't think it's morally... I don't think it's a statement of a dude's moral character how he interacts with the baseball media. If he's kind of a dick to them, I don't care. By the same token, if the media loves you, that's not a point in your favor. Just like the reverse is in an indictment. Necessarily. You pray that... And and it's, it's a little sad that we treat these they're just athletes we treat them as they're they're our heroes to some degree or another and it's always unfortunate when you see one of your heroes fall i mean i wouldn't even so i mean i'm a little bit older than you so i think i am part that this is going to be patronizing but i am (laughs) (laughs) past that to a certain extent i mean there's there are certain players certainly in the past that have killed that for me um on the mets and otherwise but it's just I just want them to not just be decent human beings. That's all I could really ask for. Yeah. So I mean, you can. There's no good way to handle this. Um, he's not a Met now, obviously, so that changes the calculus as, as, to a certain extent. You're just sort of left with your memories and how you choose to deal with them. I think is really up to you. And to be fair, I think the investigation is still ongoing to some degree. So sure, we can say allegedly and police reports say and such that to cover right. our ass for slander purposes um, in so much as that's important to this podcast. Um, but there's sort of the idea that where it's just, you know, for a famous athlete, it has to rise to a certain level to even get reported a lot of the times. Yeah, um, and I think you know, shoving your wife through a glass door certainly qualifies. I don't think there's any real defending it based on the information that's come out. No, there isn't. So those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio dot com. Feels like an unnecessary downer way to end. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> podcast. So I'll give you a slightly less downer, but still downer, final IFK Gothenburg update for the season. They went into the last game needing a better result than IFK North Shoping. Gothenburg came back from 2-0 down to draw 2-all, but North Shoping beat Malmo after two red cards. Uh, for Malmo, not having I mean, two players sent off, not a uh, Norshoping. So IFK Norshoping, fair play, has won the Allsvenskan Liga. Gothenburg finished second, and we'll go back into uh, Europa League qualifying next year. We also have the uh, Svenska Kupen coming up, oh, I think in a couple months. Now it starts up again, so that's when your IFK Gothenburg updates will resume. So that's also a little bit of a downer. Like the Mets, they fell just short this year. Seems to be a trend with this podcast. We're jinxing it, obviously. Mm. That's about it. We'll be back uh, next week. The GM meetings have just wrapped up. We're still a few weeks away from the winter meeting, so this is a, a bit of the dead time for baseball news purposes. Usually, there's been like two major trades in the last two days, so. Yeah. The Mets have a few more days to completely screw up my AAOP podcast for next week. But barring that, we will be back with our Amazing Avenue Audio, Amazing Avenue off-season plans on Amazing Avenue Audio.